0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: All right, good morning. It's 10.05 on News Talk 1110 WBT. Bo Thompson, Beth Troutman, and you hear that music? the Vince Coakley radio program. Vince is off today, so as we do every once in a while, we uh, carry the baton one extra hour. We'll take it till 11, and then Pete Callender will start his show one hour early, and that's how we bridge the gap.
2: And here we are.
1: And uh, Bernie, is that a big thumbs up over there? All right, here we go. Last night in Chicago, Carolina Panthers... On the national stage, ready or not, taking on the Chicago Bears. Somebody had to win this game. (laughs) And in the end, unfortunately, it was the Bears. Panthers fall to one and eight. Bears win 16 to 13. Here's how it ended. They're going to try a 59-yard attempt to tie it. Snap,
3: placement, kick on the way, and the kick, no good. Not nearly enough. Peñero's career-long is
4: 56. It just doesn't seem like kickers have been really kicking them very far tonight. I don't know if the cool conditions or the field conditions is causing issue, but that ball landed at the orange C in the end zone. I mean, it was a good seven yards short of where it needed to be to be able to go through those uprights. And now the Bears have an opportunity to just kneel it out and walk out of here feeling okay about the victory
1: ian eagle and joe thomas on westwood one and so that is where we find ourselves on a friday morning panthers lose another one and uh, we're going to welcome right now on wbt familiar voice to many of you who've listened to the show over the years frank garcia former carolina panther himself former wfnz talk show host and uh, we always appreciate uh, getting his opinion frank how you doing man
5: i'm doing great guys thanks for having me unfortunately i'm uh um, I'm not celebrating a victory today And I know there's a lot of people out there Disappointed with that But uh, hopefully I know this is a, a tough word for people Including myself Patience I, th- I hope we have a little patience With what's going on
2: um, Frank, give us your take What's going wrong? What are we doing wrong? I mean, I know that there are a lot of answers I know the offensive line It could be going wrong I know that there are some <laughs> But let's just break it down
5: How long do we have? I <laughs> mean, I mean, honestly um, That's really, there's there's not one thing that you can really point at to say that's the reason why. There's a lot of different things that are taking place uh, to just not executing and being efficient when it counts. And uh, when you have talent on both sides, that's one thing. The problem right now are the Panthers are talent deficient compared to, the top teams, or even the average teams in the NFL, when you let DJ Moore go and you let Christian McCaffrey go, when you let your top players leave uh, and you don't replace them with equal players, it's really hard to win in this league. And I would say that's probably the biggest problem is there's not enough talent on this football team. I know people are going to point to Bryce Young and say, or Frank Reich and, and point the finger because of the quarterback and, uh, uh, you know, the the head coach, and rightfully so, they're going to get a lot of the, the, the blame, and they're also going to get a lot of the credit. But, uh, you know, right now there's so many issues with this team that it's really ca- kind of hard to pinpoint one, but – um you know, I would say that's the biggest problem right now is they're talent deficient.
1: Well, you know, Frank, when you have a team that starts over like they did, and, and look, we've watched the Panthers start from scratch back in nineteen ninety-five as an expansion team there, and I think fans are willing uh, to give the benefit of the doubt for for you know for so long. But uh, this season, I, last night was the first time I watched this team, and I thought to myself. Um, boy, I wonder if Frank Reich is going to survive this season. And I know that uh, you know a few months ago that would seem like the craziest thing in the world to say. you got to give a guy a chance uh, for at least a couple of years. But is there a point with this team where, I mean, for example, if they don't win another game this season and they finish the season one and whatever it'll be, because we have more games now than we did the last time uh, this happened with George Seifert, If, if they end up winning only one game this season, is it conceivable to think that Frank Reich wouldn't make it through this season?
5: Um, I don't know if it's, yeah, it's hard to answer that question, Bo, because we don't really know David Tepper, right? When he hires guys, he hires them forever, um, you know, as we saw with Matt Rule, until it doesn't happen, right? And then he's quick to pull the trigger and go on to the next guy. This was his guy. Yeah. Uh, this was his guy to tra- train Bryce Young. And I think that there's going to be some patience on his end with that as well. Uh, I think the one thing that would really be hard to, a hard pill to swallow is if, we as fans look at this team and say, "Gosh, they've just quit. They're not trying hard. They're not prepared. Uh, they're not, uh, you know, they're not competing. Um, you know, they're taking plays off. They're not fighting for one another. If those things happen, then I would, I would lean towards there's a higher likelihood of Reich not being here. But it, this team is fighting. They're trying hard. But when a t- when a talentless team is trying hard." And they're playing against a talented team, and I'm not saying the Bears are a talented team. That was a one-score game. But when they're playing a team that they really don't belong on the field with, it's going to look like they're not trying. And I don't think that's the case. I think Bryce Young is growing. I think he's learning. Um, you know, he's going to make some rookie mistakes. There's going to be some ebbs and flows, and there's no continuity with what's going on. You didn't have your top defensive players last night, uh, you know, on the Panthers, and uh, you still did a pretty good job you know, against a uh, uh, an average Bears team with a backup quarterback, uh, you know, but that's kind of where the Panthers are at right now. You know, if you want to compare Bryce Young in the league uh, to a lot of these other players, um, you know, it's going to be hard because we see C.J. Stroud, you know, doing well. We see uh, the kid uh, from Kentucky that is, is playing well. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other good players, but, you know, Bryce Young isn't that type of player, so... We're going to need a little bit more patience. The building pieces are going to have to build around him. We have a shaky foundation right now, and the foundation starts with the offensive and defensive line. And in order for this house to get straightened up and right, we have to build that, and then Bryce Young's going to be just fine.
1: Hey, Frank, can you hang for one more segment? Uh, do you have time for that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, Frank absolutely. Frank Garcia is joining us here on WBT. Uh, it's the Vince Coakley Show, and Beth and Bo in for the first hour here uh, on a Friday, and we're talking about uh, what is the heartbeat of the city right now as far as conversation. The Panthers falling to 1-8 and eight and uh, losing... Uh, On the national stage last night at Soldier Field in Chicago and a lot of questions. Where do they go from here? Uh, Like I said, does does Frank Reich make it till the end of the season? Uh, I I think Bryce Young is safe, but you start asking questions like these when you start losing like this uh, and to this degree. And uh, so we'll keep that conversation going. You can chime in as well if you want to, 704-570-1110.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
6: Yeah, it was a tough decision, you know. And honestly, uh, as far as percentages, I felt like the percentages, you know, I, I listened to what everybody had, you know. Listen to the analytics guys. Let's talk to Coach Tabes. You know, there was mixed opinions about what we should do. That's my call. Um, I've seen us make 60 yarders in practice. Uh, felt like there was a little bit of a breeze at our back. The per, if you just look at the pure percentages, I think the pure percentage play is to kick it. You know, um, you know, it's, it's the, the fourth and ten conversions, probably 30% conversion. And uh, 60-yard field goal is higher than that. Um, do I second-guess myself over? It? I mean, yeah. After we missed it, yeah, I did. You know what I mean? Because the one the one reason why maybe you go for it there, even though the percentage play is to kick it, if you're just going pure percentages, is to kick it, is because if we if we make it, we still have a chance to win the game and not just tie. There was still time left. You know, it wasn't like there was 20 seconds to go. So. Um, so, yeah, that, that thought did go through my mind.
1: All right, there you go. Frank Reich talking about his thought process last night, and we have Frank Garcia with us here on the Vince Coakley Show. Bo and Beth filling in here talking Panthers on a Friday morning as they fall to 1-8 and eight and lose. On Thursday Night Football. But Frank, uh, so Frank, you heard Frank talking right there. And much has been made about this decision uh, where they could have gone for it. Instead, they decided to kick that field goal. And we, we know how the game ended. What, what did you think of the, the, the thought process of what they did and then how Frank explained it right there?
5: Well, I mean, his explanation is uh, his explanation, and I don't think there's any flaws with his explanation. Uh, the percentages are accurate uh, as far as analytics go. Uh, fourth and ten is not a very successful play in this league. Uh, uh, you know, especially when you know we just what we talked about in the last segment with no weapons. Uh, if this is an explosive offense where you can throw a five-yard pass and have uh, a Tyree kill make five guys miss and run down the sideline for a touchdown, then maybe it's a different scenario. But um, you know, they they thought that that was their best opportunity to put points on the board. Uh, if you remember the pr- play previous to that, uh, you know, I believe it was uh, a, a tip pass. Um, you know, something that you know was setting them up for a shorter uh, sh- shorter field goal and uh, just didn't convert. So they had a, they were faced with an option. So that's the option that he chose. And do coaches beat themselves up for for decisions like that? Absolutely, but. I'm hard pressed to believe that if anybody was sitting on their couch, if they had made that today, saying, Gosh, I can't believe he kicked the field goal to tie the game, they wouldn't be saying that. Right. Uh, You know, they only second guess it when it fails. That's a good point. So, um, you know, I think that that's the analytics of it measured up, and uh, that was the decision he made, and they got to live with it.
2: I've been getting messages, um, gosh, via Twitter and uh, email this morning, people who are upset, obviously, with the the record right now that the Panthers have. And some people, and this may be a controversial question, and you may not even have a take on this because you can't look backward. You can only look forward. But there are some people who are saying that they really wish that uh, Steve Wilkes was the guy that was uh, in right now with this particular team and pulling this team together. What would you say to those people who are sending those messages?
5: I don't think the record would be any different with the moves that were made in the offseason. Um, I don't, you know, the guys can play hard, uh, which I think they're playing hard now. I don't know if it changes the record or the outcome with the talentless team that they have. Um, you know, they had more talent on the team last year with Wilkes. Uh, he took a team halfway through. Um, you know, Steve Wilkes is a very good coach, but I don't think that that changes the, the record or the outcome of what's taken place with a rookie quarterback. Um, you know, I think when you look at the decisions of hire Frank Reich, I, I think immediately, you know, we knew the direction the Panthers were going before the draft. They were going to draft a quarterback, whether it was Stroud or, or Young, was to be determined. I think that was the thing that I would look back on and say uh, that uh, that I would have changed if if you know or, or chosen differently if I was the Panthers. I would have. I, I like Stroud from the beginning because of the talent that he has. And, you know, first-rounders aren't made. They're born. And they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. Uh, They're more athletic. Give me one thing, that Bryce Young is bigger, faster, stronger. He's a great leader. He's accurate. Right? You can teach those things. There's certain things you can't teach, and that's the reason why I would have chosen differently at that position.
2: Speaking of Bryce Young, let's – with what's going on this season, the games that he has played, um, the, the, the moments that have failed uh, for the Panthers, do you think that if, 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 if Frank Reich doesn't pull him off the field soon that maybe his mental state, his confidence might be um, in jeopardy for years to come potentially?
5: Well, I, 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 from what I know about Bryce Young, I don't know him as well as Frank Reich does, and I don't know him as well as, you know, maybe his teammates do, but from what I've seen from him, he's a competitive kid, and he's failed before. You know, you don't get to be 5'10 and make it to Alabama without failing and having a trials and tribulations. Where we have success is through the fires, and, um, you know, I don't think that Bryce Young is the type of person to shy away from competition and is going to let many things bother him. He's 5'10", playing quarterback at Alabama and in the NFL as the number one overall pick. So I think he's pretty strong mentally to be able to handle those things. Um, Physically, um, you know, this is a different game. He's going to take a beating. He's going to take a pounding. uh, And the question is, will he be able to sustain that? Um, You know, with the offensive line issues that the team has right now, I would be honestly more concerned about, uh, if I was going to pull him, it would be for his health, yeah. uh, not for his mental capacity.
1: Well, and you could also make the argument that if you did pull him, that might that, be that worse might, for be, his could confidence. Could be more damaging right. if he's the guy that you want to uh, to go into battle with next year. And 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 I mean, they've made a they, they've. They've mortgaged everything for this guy. So this has got to be the, I mean, I don't think anybody thinks that Bryce is going anywhere. I think there are some, there are some whispers about Frank Reich. Um, but, you know, we already asked you about that, and, and, and you said what you said there. Now, I'm just curious. C.J. Stroud's getting all this attention because he's having a heck of a rookie season so far. He's got, uh, he's got more uh, around him there in Houston than what we have here. What do you think would have happened if the roles were reversed? If, if C.J. were playing with this team and Bryce was playing with that team, where would we be right? Right now?
5: Well, you know, we all remember Cam Newton, and he came into a situation very similar. And I'm not comparing C.J. Stroud to Cam Newton by any stretch of the imagination. Cam Newton was a a different different animal. Um, and when you look at his ability to uh, c- control a game, and he's a dull he's a ball dominant player. C.J. Stroud is a more ball dominant player. Um, he, he he's going to do more things to affect the defense. at at the quarterback position than Bryce Young. So naturally, I think there did be a couple more wins, you know, under the Panthers' belt, last night being one of them. Um, I think that they would have won that game, if C.J. Stroud was on the field with the Panthers. That being said, long term, um, I do feel like maybe there is a, a ceiling. And I do feel like Bryce Young is going to be a good quarterback if he gets the pieces that surround him bryce bryce young needs he needs the stability of the foundation where cj stroud uh he's a pretty pretty fancy uh you know car driving around with the bells and whistles uh he doesn't need such a strong uh foundation so um you know that's that's what i would think would be happening i think they'd have two more wins uh you know in their you know in, in their pockets if uh if that was the quarterback.
1: Last thing I'll ask you: uh, How many wins do you think the Panthers have at the end of this season?
5: I think we're looking at it. Unfortunately, um, you know, maybe yeah. one more. Uh, you know, maybe a division game. Uh, yeah, I think playing at home. Yeah. Um, you know, would be a game that they could. I, I don't think Bryce Young. I don't think I don't think quit is in his vocabulary. I don't think quit is in a lot of these guys' vocabulary. I think they're going to play hard. Um, you know, we're going to find out, uh, you know, with this team, who are the who are the leaders, yeah. uh, and who are the the talkers, right? Because the talkers, um, you know, they're going to chirp and they're going to, you know, shy away, and you know, they'll end up being, um, you know, off to the side. The, the guys that are we're going to find out through this are who are the leaders, the ones that are going to continue to play hard through all the adversity, and I think that's ultimately going to help this team down the road. Maybe not this year. But uh, next year and the year after, once uh, they start getting some pieces in place for for Bryce Young and uh, you know maybe getting a couple more defensive players, uh, I feel like this this team will be uh, you know better suited to uh, compete for a NFC South championship.
1: Well, you said it off the top, patience, and that's where we'll end the conversation. And I really appreciate you coming on and spending uh, a half hour with us. Uh, I love picking your brain, and uh, always good to hear from you.
2: Yeah, thank you. Hey. Anytime guys.
5: I love being on with you guys. Uh you guys have the best show on radio and uh you guys keep it going. Uh, I, I enjoy listening to you guys every morning.
1: Frank, you're wow, you're, you're the best. You. We appreciate it and that's uh, that means a lot coming from you. Uh Frank Garcia, Carolina Panther and of course a uh, longtime uh, FNZ uh talker down the hall and a uh, good friend of the show.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: Welcome back to the Vince Coakley Radio Program. It's Beth and Bo sitting in for hour number one. Pete Callender will uh, take the baton in hour number two. And together, we will fill the void left behind by Vince Coakley happens every once in a while this time on a Friday so we'll take you till 11 and then we'll give you to Pete and then off we go into the Friday broadcast day and it's uh well, we've we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, one thing we haven't talked a whole lot about, uh, and and that's because the rest of the week was completely dominated by politics. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's one political headline today I think is of interest, or, or one of one of uh, the latest here. The TV audience for the third Republican presidential primary. Uh was off considerably.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, as many of you know, there was a Republican presidential debate, but according to the ratings, not many people knew. About seven and a half million viewers, and that is it. And so far, of the three de- Republican debates, that is the lowest of all of the debate ratings.
1: Which, um, on one hand, could surprise you, and on one hand, could not. I mean, the first two were on uh, Fox and Fox Business. So, uh, I mean, the, the GOP debates were on Fox, and uh, you know Fox viewers are going looking for things like GOP debates. This one, though, was on NBC, but then you take the logic of, okay, it's over the air network, it's on, you would think, a, a broader audience. But it was not on MSNBC and was not on CNBC. It was just on NBC. Now, one other note here. <laughs> this is bad news for not, not the, uh, the, the debate itself, but it's bad news for the CMA Awards. The CMA Awards, I would have said, would have beaten uh, a political debate. But the CMA Awards on the same night did not. So the Republican debate that was, as we say, off a little bit, uh, they had, what did you say, 7.5 viewers?
2: Yeah, down from 9.5 million from the Fox debate, the second debate.
1: CMA Awards, 6.84 million viewers on ABC. So there you go.
2: You surprised by that? I'm completely surprised uh, by that. The, the CMA thing, the CMA awards actually really caught me off guard, but I think there are too many award shows now, and I think people are just experiencing, I think the reason the ratings down were down for both of these things, people are experiencing political fatigue, and they want to just feel better about the world, uh, and people are experiencing, there are too many award shows, they have like celebrity fatigue, almost. I think there's a, a combination of the two things happening at once.
1: Scott Hamilton from WBT News, who was part of our election coverage the other night, and you hear uh, throughout the day, just stopped in. It's good to see you.
4: Thank you Good to see you.
1: Good job the other night, and uh, with everything going on. and like I said, it's been such a political week. I actually want to pick your brain about two things because uh, first of all, you're a big sports fan too. Uh, but um, the uh, anything now that you're at Friday, after this week of covering these local elections that uh, hits you now that you've had a chance to kind of look back and take stock
2: before you before you start, I just have to give I, I just want to give a, a slow Clap Mocking to, clap, not to you, to one of our listeners, because uh, Bo just said we've covered a lot of ground today. Kevin, Kevin just wrote us and said you've covered a lot of ground today. Unlike the Panthers last night. Boom, boom, boom!
4: Wow, that
2: just came through. So I just had to give a slow, just a slow clap. So you together. get like a
4: koozie or something for I that? I feel Th-
2: like he needs an award. <laughs> yeah, that's
4: strong. Good job, Kevin. Panthers feel like they've been ground up. Uh, no.
1: Ground up. Too late. Uh, any any final thoughts on uh, the election that was?
4: Um, impressive what the Democrats did in Huntersville. Um, I just, and again, we cover a, a, ton, a ton of stuff here, a ton right, of different right. things. You know, I'm, I'm out trying to chase what happened with gas spills in the middle of the night and all that, but I did not realize until this morning how close the uh, mayoral race in Monroe is. Mm-hmm. And I actually had somebody text me saying, it's by one vote. And I don't think, I think that's an exaggeration, but not a big one. Well, when you have an off-year election like this and, and some of these races
1: that were going on, I mean, I, I saw something, uh, <laughs> for example, Beach Mountain had some sort of ordinance this weekend, uh, I believe it was about water, and it was, it was single votes. That, it wasn't just single votes div- uh, uh, separating them, it was single votes, I think, <laughs> as far as participation goes. Uh, that may be a slight exaggeration, too, but it, it goes to the point of what you're talking about. Uh, now... You're a sports guy. And we did not get into this with Frank Garcia. Um, but, you know, the other thing that people are talking about around town is David Tepper as an owner here. And, uh, you know, David Tepper, as, as Frank says, uh, this is David's blueprint here. You know, there was a while where he was uh, the owner of the team and you had uh, part of the Jerry Richardson era as far as players and personnel. Now this is his team. This is his blueprint. This is all David Tepper. What do we say about David Tepper at this point as an owner in the NFL?
4: Your voice is weary. It's worn out. You guys have been just churning out content all week, so you don't have to talk because i got a lot to say on okay. this. Okay, <laughs> okay, we got about two minutes. What is the blueprint? Are they in a rebuild or are they trying to compete? Last year, remember, they were all in for a rebuild and then they won a couple of games and then got off the initial blueprint, which that didn't work out, so set them further back on their initial goals. What David Tepper, and again, I look. We're supposed to be unbiased, but as at this moment, I am a fan. Mm-hmm. I'm a purveyor of sports. I'm giving you my opinion. David Tepper has come in, and I get being an outsider. Whatever, that's cool, and I, I dig new ideas and and all that. But the one thing you can say about the Carolina Panthers under the tenure of Jerry Richardson, Mister the tight fitting jeans and all that, put that aside. The team always had class, and the team competed. Always seemed like it was trying. Always seemed like it was out there. And, and win or lose, you knew they gave a pretty good effort. I don't get that sense now. I feel that this pro, that this franchise rather program used that in college. I feel that this franchise has gotten to the point where it is almost accepted—not even mediocrity, but something less. And it's because of the stewardship of David Tepper. Because there is no captain at the at the wheel. He is so. All over the place. I told you guys off air, he's disenchanted a fan base that loves this team. Loves this team. This Carolina fan base is one of the best in all of not only the NFL, but all of sports. But he, he disenchanted it with the way he's kicked Ron to the curb, the whole deal with Matt Rule, sent Cam packing. I get it. Business decisions, whatever, but you could have handled that a little more gracefully. He brings Cam back. Two years ago, as the ultimate make-good in the history of professional sports, fans love him for it. We knew what we were getting with Cam. Didn't work out, but hey, you threw us a bone big guy. Appreciate it. <laughs> then you got to deal with the coach. And Steve Wilks, Steve Wilkes, local guy, Appalachian State, long-time love, Steve. great guy, great football guy, great locker room guy, leader of men. You talk about somebody who could have put just a giant Band-Aid over this oozing wound that is the David Tepper tenure. And it would, the losses right now would have been easy, more easily palpable. They would have been easier to digest. And, and I think we would have seen a different level of effort. Again, I'm not saying they're not trying. Look, they're professional athletes. They're going to act like professional Do athletes. Do you
1: think the record would be different?
4: Now, that's where we get into the weeds a little bit. I think some of the game decisions might have been different, yeah, but not necessarily so. I don't care about the record right now. They're not going to the playoffs. And if you're not going to the playoffs, you might as well finish way, way down at the bottom. But they were—they would have had you believe at the beginning
1: of the season that squeaking into the playoffs was was possible. That's part of the problem with with uh, you know buying into this whole thing is you know we knew it was going to be a a, a a transition process. But come on, I mean, one in eight, and, and right now
4: there's a good argument to be made that we may be one and over. Everything. You are. So if you're in the middle of a rebuild, as we allegedly were all this time, own it. Say we're still in the middle of the process. Let the process play out. It's going to pay off, but we can't get that because it's back and forth, back and forth. Oh, and by the way, he did bring live music to Charlotte. We had never had any live music. You know it. what this is, Beth? This is my new favorite
2: Scott Hamilton. You
4: know what this is? This is Edgy Scott Hamilton.
2: Edgy Scott Hamilton. I feel like I'm going to take some papers <laughs> out of my notebook here. I had All sweet right. tea at
1: Bojangles now. Fan you <laughs> off. <laughs> Mountain right. Dew, baby. We, hey, <laughs> hey. Uh, thumbtack this. We'll come back to it. We might need to make this a regular thing. Like I you think know, we
2: do. Scott's
1: rants or something on our show. Yes. All right. So. Edgy uh,
2: Hamilton, I'm gonna I'm gonna think of a name for that for that segment.
1: Thanks for stopping by. We'll Thank do you. this again. Sure. We've got one thing left to do in the show, and uh, it's the only way to uh, properly end what has been an extended version of Good Morning, BT slash Vince Coakley. We're gonna hear from Beth's dad, who is a veteran, coming up as we uh, send things off for the weekend. <laughs> Forces medley on Veterans Day. Look, I'm sorry the Panthers lost, but the real headline of today is it's Veterans Day. It's also the 248th birthday of the U.S. Marine Corps. So we salute all those who have served today and all day here on the show. We'll be talking about veterans and we salute veterans and this show goes out to veterans. And I played the Armed Forces medley. I also got to play this. Because right now we're going to talk to our first veteran of the day. I think you know where we're going on this. We're going to South Carolina. And it's the first time in a while to welcome the Waniac to Good Morning BT.
3: I love
1: beach music.
3: Waniac, thank you for your service. Oh, thank you so much, and good morning, Bo, Beth, Bernie, and Boomer, and we need to get John to change his name to something with a B. (laughs) Okay, I'll work on that. (laughs) How you doing? It's been a while. It has been a while, but I listen to you every morning. You know, you know a lot of good things going on there in Charlotte, and you keeping me in form down here in paradise. Aww. <laughs> well, so tell
1: us about your service, because uh, today and throughout the show, we're going to spotlight uh, veterans and, and thank people for their service, as we should. But uh, you are the first veteran of the day, and, and tell us when you served and what you did.
3: Well, I actually served in July we well, have January of 67 and got out in December of 68 quick story uh Nancy and I, best mom, got married like on December 18th. We went on our honeymoon, came back on a the, Sunday. On the, we went on a Sunday, came back on a Saturday. I had my draft notice in the mailbox.
2: I was actually <laughs> going to ask about that, Dad. You got that draft notice in the mail the day y'all got back from your honeymoon. And so, mom ended up just moving back in with her parents for a while, right?
3: She did. She moved back in with them for uh, what till I came back from Vietnam. I was actually in Vietnam in July '68. Had my 21st birthday in Vietnam uh, till July July '67, July '68. And when I came back, she wouldn't move with me. Went to uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. I was stationed there the last six months. Actually, got a chance to play football out there, so that was a that was a good chance, a good change from where I'd been. But you know, it, it was a. Something that I will never forget, something I don't want to relive, but I wouldn't take anything for the experience either. Uh, lost some friends, made some friends, and still friends with some of the folks that I served with in vietnam so it's it's a great experience a lot of things going on around here today uh a lot of the beaches are having specials. We used to have one on North Myrtle Beach so some guys sent up a tent a veterans organization does and recognize all the veterans that come around Then they they get us on a line, and all the people on the beach come by and thank you for the service it's a It's a good thing. A couple of bands are playing today, and they've already announced they'll be doing a special to the uh, veterans. It's a big weekend here. It's the Carolina Beach Music Awards weekend. so There are a lot of people in town, so it's going to be a good day, you know.
2: One, really of my, one of my favorite memories of growing up on Veterans Day uh, with you as uh, there are so many lovely places that, that offer veterans different specials throughout the day, sometimes throughout the weekend, um, like free pieces of pie or free meals or discounts at stores. And one of my favorite memories of you is uh, on Veterans Day, just making the rounds of all the places that offered um, some kind of discount or some kind of free dessert or free meal. And we would just go and... <laughs> <laughs> Let you have all the, all of the, all of the different places honor you with the uh, free stuff.
3: <laughs> well, you know, being in social media these days, you get a list of all the places that are offering a free meal or a free dessert or. Whatever the case may be. And, you know, a lot of guys do go to. I try, I'll go to two or three during the day. Sometimes I haven't even planned where I'm headed this weekend. Uh, I got to look at the list. I had a lot of other good things going on with the music awards. But, you know, it's a, it's a good thing what people do for veterans. I can remember the first 30 years that I came home from Vietnam. Like you, you didn't mention you were in Vietnam or in the service uh, because people were so frowned upon it. Whenever, you know, when I came back, it was not accepted thing in the United States to be a veteran or a Vietnam vet. So, you know, it's, it's good that people do finally recognize uh, I do have a Vietnam veteran hat that I'll wear the next two days. And you'd be surprised the number of people, when you wear it, that come up and say, thank you for your service. And it was long overdue. And I, I love what the people do and how they respect the servicemen, whether it's Vietnam vets, there's still a few Korean War vets around, or whether it's the uh, the— the uh, Middle East wars we've participated in—the the guys there are just as uh, just as important to our democracy.
1: Well, um, it's obvious, uh, and I, I'm so glad that, that we, we're having you on because I feel like today uh, is just one of those days where, where where people who serve deserve that platform just to talk and and uh, express uh, their, their thoughts on the air. And we got the fifty thousand watts, so we're doing this, and you're part of the the, the show family here. So uh, I feel like it's the perfect way to start Veterans Day here.
3: Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity, and I know it's going to be a great Veterans Day there in Charlotte area, and you guys will celebrate it. And I hope to be listening here some more veterans on your show this morning. Uh, You know, we we all love our democracy. We love our country. That's why we serve. But you know, we love WBT also.
1: Well, we have, Dad. We love you. We appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, Tell everybody else uh, down there at the uh, at the Studios that we said hello, and we'll talk to you soon.
3: We'll do it, brother. Thanks so much, y'all. Have a great day. All right, that's Wayne
1: Troutman, the Waniac. Thank you for your service here on Veterans Day.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
7: All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT, Vince Coakley radio program. Vince is not here. Not here. If you were looking for Vince, listening for Vince, I regret to inform you he's not here today. You probably already knew that if you were listening to the first hour because Bo and Beth did the first hour. And I'm here for the second hour. I'm Pete Callender. And uh, and then I will still be here from noon to 3. 704 570 1110 one eight hundred w b t eleven ten and just apparently there's a there's a large and by large i mean like maybe a dozen or one uh people that don't know that you can actually call those numbers yeah, you can call those numbers and then you uh can get on the radio to present your truth did you know that that's possible just letting you know 704-570-1110. seven oh eleven ten one eight hundred w b t eleven ten um I want to start. I've been waiting to not waiting, but I've been trying to get to a couple of these topics uh, for a while. So I got an extra hour this week. So why not use it for for this? I thought it was a great idea, too. Thank you. All right. So we got the manifesto, at least three pages of the manifesto, quote unquote, from the Nashville shooter. And you're like, I don't, is there a shooting in Nashville? Yeah, well, there was. But it's, it was a while ago. It was like almost a whole year ago, right? So you probably don't remember it. it this was the one at the Covenant School. Right? It's it's so it's like eight months ago this happened. And six people were murdered by the shooter. I don't name them. But this this deranged individual who uh it was reported shortly after when they identified who it was that this the the uh, the shooter this individual was uh not just deranged but also identified as a different gender than that which they were born and so it was a transgender shooter and so of course now this story becomes radioactive or it becomes really really important depending on you know your uh your views on the on the subject to me it's still a it's still a mass shooting and it's it's people trying to figure out, you know why somebody would behave in this manner that's completely deranged. And when you are trying to uh, assign a motive and you are a logical rational person, you're trying to make sense of a motive of an irrational actor, you can't you you can't figure it out because they are irrational. They are illogical. They are evil. they're deranged. So, Steven Crowder, who I hadn't heard from, I hadn't seen him really do much of anything since the whole thing with his pregnant wife. Remember the video that surfaced of him yelling at his pregnant wife or whatever? Anyway, uh, and he left, where did he leave? The Blaze, or not the Blaze? Was it the Blaze? No, he was offered a gig at Daily Wire, and then he went public about how dare you offer me what I didn't, uh, less than what I demanded or something, whatever. So I hadn't heard from Stephen Crowder in a while, hadn't seen any of his work. Maybe he had a non-compete going, I don't know. But, he was the one who apparently got a couple of the pictures <clears throat> of the, the notebook or the manifesto. And he, he, so somebody, what appears to be somebody who probably had access to the evidence, so somebody in law enforcement, somebody in Nashville law enforcement that has access to the evidence locker, right, got the journals and took a couple of pictures of the notes and then gave them to, or somehow or other, they got into the hands of Stephen Crowder. He published them. Three pages of the diary provided to him by an unnamed source. This then prompted uh, the requisite uh, outrage, of course. How dare he publish information, right? You, you're not allowed to know. We can know the motives behind every other shooter, almost every other shooter, Right? When you got the, like, Dylan Roof, what was his motive? White supremacy. Found that out almost immediately, right? Because he had his his online writings and such. You always find this stuff out, and then it gets plastered all over the place. And then, of course, in using a term that is uh, quite in fashion nowadays, collective punishment, right, is then uh, called for against people of the same race and gender as the shooter, as the deranged individual. So, of course, when we find out that the this shooter matches a particular demographic that is a protected class, if not in law, then at least in society, then then what? Well, you can't be sharing this information. And so Crowder has his uh his post blocked on Facebook, I think Google took his stuff down. So couple things. the response from law enforcement was pretty terrible. Um, they've been claiming this whole time for the last seven months that they can't release it because it's part of an uh, an ongoing active investigation. But that's not really true because there's nobody else to to charge, right there, nobody else is being charged and even if somebody else were to be charged, the contents of the diary, the manifesto, the hit lists or whatever, all the stuff that these people do, that would not actually really play any role. I mean, you're talking about maybe somebody who you know provided a gun or helped the shooter get a gun, something like that. But the pages that we saw, that's not part of an investigation. In fact, we knew then for sure that the police were trying to block this from being published because after they got a FOIA request filed for the evidence to be released— um, then they cited the FOIA request as the reason that they cannot comply with the release of the information, which is circular logic to say the least. But it's also a bad faith argument, right? So, and and, and it, it showed their hand. The whole point was they don't want to release it. You had uh, uh, family members, people who go to the church and go to that school. They did not want the manifesto released. And I can appreciate their sentiments. I do. Like i I understand why they would not want it to be released and they don't want more pain. I get all of that. But that's a double standard now. And you, you, you can't play by one set of rules based on who the shooter is. Well, I mean, some people do try to play by one set of rules. I refuse. I refuse. I'm going to apply a consistent standard. And what it proves to me in reading the, um, the passages that were published is that the shooter was, in fact, deranged. Now, I do have some questions about the role of, say, what people call puberty blockers, but for a female that's wanting to be a male that's, quote, transitioning to do so, um, they're usually being given some sort of a cocktail that includes steroids. And so I do wonder if there's some sort of connection to to the drugs... Right, I mean, that just makes sense to me, and maybe that's what the police are. Maybe that's part of their investigation. No, it's not. They're not. They're not examining the science behind this. The police department put out a statement. It says that it's in communication um, with the Metropolitan Department of Law as an investigation begun this morning continues into the dissemination of three photographs of writings. During an online discussion about Covenant School, the photographs are not Metro Nashville Police Department crime scene, uh, crime scene images. The police department has been in contact with a representative of Covenant families. Police department counselors are available to assist them in coping with the emotional trauma caused by the dissemination. All right. First off, uh, they were never represented to be crime scene photos. I don't know why I don't know why they felt the need to put that into the statement. And while they would not confirm that these were pictures from the shooter's diary, the fact that they would not say it and that they were bringing in counselors that indicates it was, that they are legit, that the pages are legitimate. But the mayor uh you know, wanting to just uh, get in front of this thing and let everybody know, you know, he's got it under control. He says, don't worry, he is investigating how the images could have been released. Because that's the important thing. After we shut it down, nobody can look at it. We're going to find out who did it and then head on a pike or something, right? We'll go over what some of the writings are um, and how do they connect to some of the some of the stuff that we're seeing with regard to the, quote-unquote, pro-Palestine rallies. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT, 704 570 one 1-800-WBT-1110. So according to the uh, insane writings of the maniac that shot up the uh, Covenant Christian School in Nashville about eight months ago. They wrote in their diary, their quote manifesto, I wish to shoot you weak bleep bleeps with your mop yellow hair, want to kill all you little crackers, bunch of little bleeps with your white privileges. Um goes on to say here do, do I have the well I've highlighted too much. The phrase time to die is circled at the bottom either celebrating the death that she would cause or indicating that she knew that she was uh, not going to survive the attack which she did know by the way. Um she said uh I'm ready I hope my victims aren't Uh, She said she wanted to have a high, quote, death count. She said going to fancy private schools with those fancy khakis and sports backpacks with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles. Um, She said there were several times that she could have been caught. uh, Summer of 2021, especially. Hmm if that's all of them, because they're all spread out over the different articles here but I think that you, you get the gist of it okay um, does that any of this stuff any of this language does it sound familiar right does any of this stuff sound I don't know like you know straight out of a DEI struggle session and again the person was crazy this person this shooter was evil however these rantings focused the attention of this deranged person on a specific group of people. Now, I'm not going to argue that anybody who has engaged in the DEI indoctrination cult, that they are responsible in some form of stochastic terrorism, right? Because stochastic terrorism, that was the the fancy word that they conjured up a couple of years ago to describe every conservative and how they were, again, a term that's in fashion, collectively responsible or uh, uh, worthy of collective punishment, which is against the rules, right? Collective punishment. So uh, I'm not trying to say that these DEI cultists are all responsible in a stochastic terroristy sort of way. But if I was going to hold everybody to the same standard, then I would, right? Because that's what it means, right? Not my term. I rejected that term. I've argued against the use of that term. I've argued against the use of grouping people into these large categories based simply on an immutable characteristic like race, All right, so what do the writings point to? It points, again, to the strange decision to keep the manifesto under wraps. Why would you do that, right? It makes sense if the if the shooter had survived, right, and you had to put the person on trial. That makes a bit of sense because the, you would want to keep this stuff under wraps so you don't taint the jury pool all that. But there's no jury pool here to taint, right? Had they released this stuff immediately then what? It would have it would have cut down on all of the conspiracy theories and speculation, right? That would have happened. But the decision, and this is from uh, Ed Morrissey at HotAir.com, he says, The decision to hide this particular manifesto looks political in and of itself, granting some absurd privacy on the basis of the perpetrator's identity which also seems to have been her motive in conducting the massacre, right? Would the, would the Department of Justice or Nashville Police Department have sealed the manifesto of a dead white supremacist murderer? No, of course not. By the way, I read also, where was the, hang on, it's in one, it's in one of the stories here, I'll find it, ah, here it is, that the shooter left behind at least 20 journals as well as a suicide note and a memoir which i think is really all the proof necessary that she was a girl 20 journals come on dudes don't dudes don't keep 20 journals
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits. Long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
7: Pete Callender in for Vince Coakley. He shall return Monday. Don't worry. 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110 1110 All right, so go after going over the uh, the quote motivation for the transgender shooter in Nashville about 8 months ago. We're also seeing the justification of Hamas terrorism against Israel. Right? It's the same sort of uh, it's the, as Chris Rufo called it, the fruit of left wing racialist ideology. This is the fruit that it's bearing. It's been, the seeds were planted, it was uh, nourished, cultivated, and now it's it's bearing fruit. Right, the pervasive hatred, the cynicism, the despair. It's through all of the institutions. Chris Rufo says, left-wing ideology is a method of justifying pre-existing hatreds. That's it. You just get to layer the, the philosophy right over your bigotry. And then you get to accuse others of being the bigot. So you get to position yourself in this uh, dopamine-inducing belief that you're in a higher moral station than the person you're attacking when in fact you are the bigot right you're you're making assumptions well here you go here's a good example um i mentioned this idiot the other day his name is kyle Parrish, and he's a perennial losing candidate he runs for all sorts of offices i don't know why he spends the money to do so because you do have to spend money to run for these offices and sometimes it's like thousands of dollars but he likes to blow his money and he keeps running for these seats and keeps losing. He most recently, uh, well, uh, yeah, I guess he's going to lose to Virginia Fox next. I think that's the idea. Um, but he took another issue. This was the guy that 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 uh, came after me because I made the joke about Gavin Newsom standing in front of the flag of California. And if you're, you know, the flag of California has that bear on it, you know. And so the flag is just kind of hanging limply down and but the bear you could see it's like nice and flat it's a really great flat 2d image of the bear and so he's standing in front of the flag and it looks like the bear is perched on his shoulder licking his ear and i said you know that's the real headline here is that newsom has trained a bear to ride on his shoulder and lick his ear and so this humorless leftist scold named kyle parrish the perennial losing candidate He then says that I'm a Nazi. That was his response to a joke, which is a pretty, I mean, it was a pretty anodyne kind of joke. Like, that's not, that wasn't, it was not political. It was, it's just a joke about the way the image looks. But he saw the opportunity to call me a Nazi because that makes him feel better, makes him feel good. And so we went round and round uh, uh, about that a couple of days ago. Well, he's back at it today because I retweeted, um, Somebody who had said they had some video of a city in London where they're marching through the streets, they being Arabs, that that Europe, specifically the UK, has allowed so many people from the Arab world into their country that there are cities now where the British, the, dare I call them the indigenous peoples, because that's what they are there, they are now outnumbered. By people from the Arab world. And so somebody posted this video and they're like, I grew up here and this used to be just like a working man's town or whatever, like a blue collar uh, industry kind of a town, whatever. And so I retweeted it and all I said was colonizers, right? Because that's the term that everybody's using about Israel, about the Jews and about America and about the UK, right? And so he, of course, then calls me a bigot, this guy, Kyle. Shows back up. He's taken some time off from running a losing campaign, and so he shows back up in the uh, in the Twitter feed, and he, here he is saying again that I'm some sort of a bigot. Well, wait a minute. Why would that be the case? Or do do the does this immigrant population inside of this town? that they now are the majority does that does that not count as colonization what are you saying that only only certain people are capable of colonizing others are you saying that there's something inherent in our genetics based on skin pigmentation or something that makes one colonizery or non colon colonizery there we go yeah like someone's a colonial uh, colonialist just based solely on their race is that it? That means somebody can't be a colonialist based on their race, which honestly sounds kind of racisty. It does. You're saying that someone based only on the color of their skin, that they are somehow incapable of engaging in a behavior. That doesn't make any sense. Unless, of course, you're the bigot, which <coughs> Kyle is the bigot. Right. They are guilty of that which they accuse you. This is the iron law of woke projection. They project upon you the thing that they are, the things that they think. So while you see cities throughout Europe that are becoming more and more majority Muslim or majority Arab or majority immigrant or whatever, replacing the indigenous population, right, of the Anglos, that was their land, I believe, right? They had that little island up there. I don't know where they came from before that. Was it the Caucasus Mountains? I don't know. But I don't know how far back you're supposed to go on this stuff, by the way. I, 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 I don't. Because if, that's, if you're supposed to stop it at some point, or you're supposed to go all the way back until, like, then everybody's a colonizer out of Africa, if you go all the way back, right? I think. I think that's how that would work. That Africa has colonized the entire planet. If everybody traces their human... Yeah, roots all the way back. Okay, so there's that. Um, But maybe you're only supposed to go back a certain amount of time. Is that the idea? You're only allowed to go back a certain period of time. But I don't know how long that is, and I don't know if it's different based on the color of your skin. Oh, there's that. There's that prejudice again. Oh, look at that. So for some groups of people, like I guess the Arabs, the Palestinians, we're only supposed to go back 70 years or something or 80 years. Ninety years, hundred years, something like that? And then that's where we start marking time from? Which is weird because if you go back prior to that, the the Arabs and, and the Muslim world as a you know as a an ideology, Islam, has they've done a whole lot of colonizing. I mean, to the point where you get to convert, pay a tax, or die. Like those were your options. And so they got a lot of people to convert. Was that colonization? That doesn't count. Why doesn't that count? If it's just religion, and it's not ethnic or it's not racial, right? It's just religion. So why wouldn't that count? Does that count? Can Islam be colonizers? Didn't they beat the Christians in the Crusades? Was that colonizing? That's what prompted the Crusades, right? The Christians were like we're gonna go take it back. Guess they got they got defeated in combat, right? They lost territory. They they got yeah they got colonized, right? Or is, it, is, it there, is there a different word, better word, makes you feel better about what one civilization did versus another civilization? Is that the deal? So confusing keeping up with all of these inconsistent standards. Man, I wish we could just follow a consistent standard. It would make this all a lot easier. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender filling in for Vince Coakley. He'll be back on Monday. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also shoot me an email at Pete at the Pete and on Twitter at Pete Callender. Let's go over here to the phone lines and speak with Tom. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Pete. Enjoying your show. And I uh, just wanted to... uh Give a shout out in song. One verse won't take ten seconds to America and to all the veterans for their service. Mm-hmm. You ready? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I was giving you like the little the the. <laughs> I was giving you the cue, like the whatever the tone is for you. Yeah.
3: <laughs> thank you. Thank okay. you so much. America, you're that little child that says mom. We love you so. Oh, America, you're my hometown. Long may you grow. Long may you grow.
7: Thank you, Pete. That's it. Very nice, Tom. Very nice. I appreciate Tom. you. All right. You. Yes, All right. Sir. yes, sir. Thank you. Happy uh, Veterans Day to you. And also, happy birthday to the United States Marine Corps. Uh, and all who celebrate. Well, I mean, I, cause I'm not a, I'm not a Marine. I was never a Marine. My dad was, uh, but, um, and, and so we always like, make a point to say, you know, happy birthday to the USMC. So, you know, you don't have to have been a Marine or been in the Marines to, uh, to celebrate the Marine Corps birthday. They're pretty good. It's a pretty good organization. Uh, already. So, uh, the, um. The writing here from Chris uh, Christopher Rufo, and he is—I I don't know. The guy's got his hands in, like, everything. He's doing so much stuff. He's one of the guys that uh, has been deconstructing the deconstructionists, right? The DEI, Church of Wokism. he He's been—he, along with, you know, other guys like, uh, obviously, uh, James Lindsay and Jordan Peterson. Um, but Rufo is more of a— uh, I want to say, I guess he's more of like a tactician and he, he is all about, he will tell you and he tells everybody like, here's how you, here's, here's what we're going to do. And then the lefties are like, "Eh, he's trying to mobilize people to do these terrible things. And he's like, you're absolutely right. I'm mobilizing people to do the things right here. Like take over, what was it? New college down in Florida, right? I think it was in Florida. Take it over, get rid of these, these leftist professors and it didn't matter. Just kick them out. And get in people that are going to, you know, focus on classic liberal education. And so he's uh, also a big fighter against all of the uh, uh, the identity politics. And he's the one making these connections. One of the people making these connections between uh, what we're seeing with the quote pro Palestine crowd, but also with the affirm me crowd and the DEI crowd, right? This is all racialist ideology, and it is all Marxist. It is all through this prism of oppressor and oppressed. All of it. Everybody wants to be the victim, because being the victim means you're the underdog, and if you're the underdog, that means you are correct. If you want an example of it, there is no better example of it right now than all of the protests in support of quote, Palestine, or the Palestinians. Do you know, I saw today, actually, a video today, a bunch of Palestinians in Gaza. And they are, I mean, these are like uh, women and children. There's a whole bunch of them. People in wheelchairs. And they're all carrying white flags, white garments, like surrender flags, but, you know, to indicate they are not combatants, right? They're civilians, And they start moving towards, because what Israel has decided to do in their efforts to genocide, obviously, was to give civilians free passage, and they're going to now give you three hours' notice, and you're going to have a four-hour window, and then you can leave an area. Hamas started shooting at them. There's video of it. Now, I, I, I'm sure that there is some explanation floating around out there among team baby beheading rapists that, you know, that they don't they're going to say that that video isn't true. I'm sure they will. I don't care. I don't care what they say. Like it, you, your arguments are garbage. I I see you. I see your arguments. I see what's motivating you. Everybody should see it by now. It's the same thing this this um it's the same thing with critical race theory, and it's the same reason why they want you to shut up about it. Just stop talking about it, right? The left wants us to stop talking about these things because this is how they achieve power and I'm not talking like in the like political power or like you know tyrannical power. I'm just, like power in all things. just you got to always keep in mind to a leftist, all relationships. Everything, institutions, interactions, everything is power dynamics. Who, who's in a more advantageous position at any given moment? And so all of the, the tendency for interpersonal victimhood, this, this personality, I would call it a flaw, but this is a personality that has been identified. These are tendencies that, have, that are identified in people. And it wasn't political when it was first identified. It was just people who tend to view themselves as victims in all situations. And the, and the more they do it, the more they do it. And it just becomes this, this self-perpetuating uh, uh, but also self-destructive behavior and mindset. You can never get out of it. And now we're seeing it everywhere. And it's being fueled by this critical theory that views all things in the power dynamic, and they say, well, if you are the underdog, you are automatically more worthy. Right? If I come into your home, and you've got, let's just say I picked the wrong night, and you got all your extended family there, and I come in there with murder in my eyes and on my heart, and I'm going to murder everybody there, but oh, I forgot a weapon too. So I'm, I'm barehanded, I'm going to come in there, I'm going to murder your entire family reunion of like 100 people. Oh, and by the way, your family, they're always caring, so they're all strapped. I would be the underdog in that situation. Would that make m- me right? Would that make my cause just? It's such a stupid way of looking at things. But that's where we are. We live in very stupid times. All right, let's see here. How stupid can we be? Derek, welcome to the program. H- Hello, Derek. Hello, Derek. Derek. Hey, what are you typing? Hello? Yeah, oh, yeah. Hey, what's going on? How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm good. What's up? You, uh, you, you wasted a, uh, some time, but uh, you got like a minute. All right. Um, I, I just, I
5: keep hearing, um, you know, terms like CRT. I just want to know your position. is on just teaching old American history that was taught in the 70s and 80s. Um, anything wrong with, with just teaching American history as we learned it back then?
7: Uh, I did. I don't know what you were taught in the seventies, and that's a really sweeping question. So, is there something specifically you want to?
5: Well, just to think exactly what you know what happened during the Civil War and during um, the sixties and seventies, and mm-hmm. and things weren't perfect here. But you know, sometimes, like I'm seeing in Florida, where they want to. Stop teaching about slavery or parts yeah, of slavery. That's not true. And to me, that's just part of American history. It is part
7: of American history. It's also not true that they're not teaching about it in Florida. Um, the so you, I would I would highly encourage you to to uh, expand your horizons on the places that you get news from. I, of course, am pro teaching history. Absolutely, like to teach history. I'm actually going to do some in a minute because you know what today also is. It's the 125th anniversary of the Wilmington coup. Do you know what that is? I'll teach you up next.